You are listening to the podcast, Send Me. Here with you now is host, Jason Sweet. What's the count, team leader? What's the count? Down! Keep going! Hold it. Try it! Uh, Keep going! Brought to you by SOCOM Athlete. Send me. Send me. Thanks for tuning in to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send me. This is your host, Jason Sweet, and I'm here with a very special guest tonight, author of the book, Warrior Leadership and Retired Army Ranger and Sergeant Major in the Army, Mr. JB. Thank you so much for coming on tonight with us, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Jason. Thanks for having me. You're doing incredible work, and I'm honored to be here. Thank you. JB, can you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. My book is my first book. It took me... uh, it was about 10 years of notes. And um, uh, what I wanted to do was just impart some simple leadership uh, techniques uh, on for, for people to read. Uh, up, and coming, up and coming leaders, maybe those that wanted to go in the military. And, um, you know, I just took time over a 10-year period jotting notes down. And then uh, through another military friend, I found a great editor um, who uh, helped me put it together. And and there, there you have Warrior Leadership. Uh, not a long read, only supposed to be a two-hour read, about 136 pages, but at the end of each chapter is a, is a takeaway that you can tab and try to help you and your own success moving forward. Incredible, JB. Congratulations on your Thank first you. book and for getting that launch, brother. Yeah. Thank you. So JB, are you doing anything now besides being an author? Aren't you doing some consulting, some leadership consulting? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I have my own company, JBS uh, Leadership Consultants, LLC. And what I do is I do leadership consulting for individuals, coaches, athletes, businesses. And uh, I bring a kind of a two-prong concept, one leadership and two culture. So I help a lot of companies just with their culture. I come in, I look at their culture, um, I give them an assessment and then help guide their culture moving forward. Because, you know, people initially come to work. Why? Because they need a paycheck. You know, they have to pay the rent, they have to buy food, they have to provide for the family. But people stay in organizations because the culture is healthy, much like special operations. People get in military special operations, they stay, and the work is super hard. But why do they stay? Because the culture is good. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Uh, that's uh, When I retired in 2010, I hung up my guns, and I've, I've done this full time. Using uh, everything you've learned from warrior leadership to share that with other Americans and and strengthen their endeavors. That's absolutely incredible. So JB, let's rewind a little bit. Where were you at in life before you joined the army? Was this like something that you wanted to do your whole life or what was going on there? Wow, that's a great question. A middle-class kid from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, actually Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad were both, you know, hard, hardworking Americans, like most families out there. And, and I said, you know, um, I wasn't ready for college. I knew I wanted to go. I wanted to pay for my own college, so I said, "Yeah, maybe I'll, uh, you know, join the army, get the college fund." So there I go. I go show up to the army recruiter. Now this is the days before the internet. I know some of your people are going to say, "Wow, this is like caveman days." You but mean wasn't that- the internet actually didn't exist at one point? <laughs> it, the internet did not exist, and so uh, you know, I go down to see the uh, army recruiter, and I was like, "You know, I'd like four years of college." It's like no problem what job do you want to do? I'm like, I can choose. And he hands me this big book and I'm kind of going through this book. And, you know, I, uh, truthfully, 
you know, I didn't know one job from the next. And he looks at my transcripts. He looks at my, you know, my fitness records. And he's like, do some push-ups. I did some push-ups. He had a pull-up bar across his door. Do some pull-ups. I did some pull-ups. Real, real quick, JB, I'm looking yeah. at you right now, man. And you're a pretty fit guy. Yeah, I mean, how, how'd, you, how'd you do on the PT test, brother? I, I did. I did. I maxed it. I was good. Max, of course. You, I maxed, did you maxed it out. Crushed I maxed it, huh? it. I maxed it. Okay. okay. So, so, but... You know, he says to me, why don't you become an army ranger? And I was like, great. What do they do? He said, jump out of airplanes, blow stuff up. You know, so the rest is history. Look, I thought I'd be in for just four years. Uh, I had a plan of being a high school history teacher and uh, coach hockey and baseball. And you know what? The military was good to me. 26 years later, it worked out. I had some great assignments, you know, obviously special operations. I worked at the United States Military Academy for at West Point as, as cadre. I was a drill instructor, worked at officer candidate school. So, you know, it just, it just became, uh, you know, a calling for me and I enjoyed it, chipped away at my college while I was in and, and there you have it. So JB, I would say about 75% of our listeners are prepping for some type of special operations career. Can you tell us a little bit about your selection process? Now it wasn't called RASP at the time. It was the Ranger indoctrination program, mm -hmm. RIP. How was that for well, you? Well, I got to, uh, you know, we've talked offline before this, like what you're doing, helping these young men and women with these selections is incredible. I wish I had that. Like when I showed up, well, number one, you showed up to the army. I had no idea what was happening. Then I went to airborne school. That was another idea. And then all of a sudden I show up to what was called RIP, Ranger Indoctrination Program. And you might as well just drop me on Mars because I had no idea what was happening. And it was it was extremely difficult. Uh, about 300 guys started. 33 of us made it. Oh, so th this was a super, super high attrition rate. Jo they, guys were dropping like... They, you know what? They didn't care how many people quit. Um, I, I'll never forget the... Uh, the NCIC, the you know, sergeant in charge, walked out, and on the first day he said, and I believed him, he said, I don't care if any of you pass. And I was like, okay, well, that's it. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. you know, and, like, and, and I believed him. He's like, I don't care if any of you pass. And uh, now, JB, yeah. I got to say, like, I, I've been to a few of these different selection courses recently, and I'm not saying the instructors are going easy on the students, but you definitely see a little bit more of like a mentorship role. And like there's counseling sessions, like, for example, at the basic recon or basic reconnaissance prep course down there at Recon Training Center, uh, San Clemente, sure. where you go to be a recon marine. If they get hurt or they quit or something like that, they actually have some time to get remediated and think about it. And the same goes with the Air Force side, the, the special warfare prep course. But back in the day, like there was none of that. Like they tried to get you to quit and you were out. But one of the reasons I think that is because right now special operations is critically undermanned. And so SOCOM is trying to bolster up the forces, right? But what, back then was like, the, were the Ranger battalions like overmanned? Did they not need dudes so they could literally be that selective or what was Well, you got to remember. So when I came in, third Ranger battalion was just standing up. So we only had two Ranger battalions and guys went there and they stayed forever. So you know, that was kind of it. I think they um, love their jobs, huh? They, they just love, stuck around, love their jobs, stuck around. And, um, uh, you know, just think of this story. So, so it was that we had these two story World War II barracks, right? And the classroom was in the second floor of the barracks. So you had to climb, they had a cargo net stretched across the windows. You had to climb a cargo net into the classroom and out of the classroom. Only instructors were allowed to use the stairs. I was like, listen, when people talk about, 
you know, mental toughness and everything else. And they talk about like, oh, my day's tough. What can I do? You know, you have to narrow your focus. I wasn't worried about getting to the end of the, you know, four and a half week course. I was worried about making it to lunch and then making it to dinner. Right, and then, segmenting it. Yeah, breaking it down and it, making it doable. Right, right? like, okay, I, I, I made it another day. As I saw people next to me, bigger, stronger, faster, weeding themselves out. So I was like, okay, well, you know what? If they want to throw me out, they can throw me out, but I'm not going to quit. That was my, that was my mental attitude. I'm not going to quit. If, 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 if I don't make something, if I don't pass a task and I get tossed, that's one thing, but I'm not going to quit. And the other thing I, I did is, you know, and, and, and I don't know if they still have these opportunities, but anytime there's, you know, an instructor says, hey, do you want to do any remedial training? Do you want to do any additional training? I went to all of that, right? <laughs> uh, we're having an additional land navigation class. I'm going. Like, it didn't matter what it was because I always tried to stay ahead of the curve as much as I could. Now, JB, was Cole Range still in effect back then? Because I know that's kind of the infamous portion of Red. Wow. It, it, Cole Range, it, it, you just put me back to a, a, a time there. Uh, Cole Range is actually, I believe, at Fort Benning now. It's, it's, it's at Fort Benning. And uh, so fast forward, I was actually an instructor at regimental headquarters, and I actually taught pre-ranger. So there was Rip, back then Rip, Rip Rope pre-ranger and I was one of the pre-ranger cadre which got our ranger regiment guys ready for ranger school so uh yep uh that's those are good days so JB let's fast forward a little bit which ranger battalion did you actually get assigned to so I got initially assigned to second ranger battalion so I was in Bravo company second ranger battalion for four years um was that still up at still Washington? Fort Lewis, Washington, right? And then I went from there to Ranger Regimental Headquarters for two years. So I was in uh, 75th Ranger HHC. And then I went to be a drill instructor. And then I went to 1st Ranger Battalion in Savannah, Georgia to be a platoon sergeant. So, Was there any kind of a cultural difference between those two teams that you could notice? Or yeah. was it kind of the no, same thing? No, I, I, I noticed it. It was funny. And even... I show up the first Ranger Battalion. I'd already been to combat. I got a, I got a, you know, regiment combat scroll, and still people were like, "Oh, here's the second bat guy." I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" It was, there was a cultural difference. Yes. So I mean, what do you have to do, like, for our listeners out there, JB? I mean, how do you carry yourself whenever you're a new guy on a team? What's What's the way to to earn the guy's respect? Well, man? Y- y- you know, show up on time. Do the best, do the best, yeah. do the best you can, you know, lead from the front, keep your mouth shut. Right. Like those, those simple things. Yeah. Right place, right, place, right, right time, right. You and then hook up and, your And then you know yeah. what? It doesn't take long. I was pretty seasoned. I was an experienced guy already. I was already in E7. So it, it doesn't take the guys long. They feel like, okay, he, you know, he, he's, he's part of us, but uh, I enjoyed uh, both my times in both range of battalions and regimental headquarters. I learned a lot in each. Here's the thing. Wherever you go, try to learn something. My, my first time as a drill instructor, like I'd been in the army um, a little over six years and I went to be a drill instructor. Uh, and um, because our Ranger Regimental Sergeant Major, um, Mariano Leon Guerrero, LG they called him, who's a, you know a Ranger Hall of Fame, he called me in one day and he said, hey, uh, I think you should go be a drill instructor. And I was like, go be a drill instructor for what? Wear the big flat hats and yell at yeah. people? Yeah, he's like, he's like, no, 
He's like leadership opportunity, right? He said to me, he's like, you are already tactically sound to be a platoon sergeant. He's like, tactically, you got it. He's like, you're going to learn so much as a drill instructor. It's going to help you with your leadership. And listen, I got there. I was the only one that's been to combat. And here I was with guys from the regular army. I had never been out of the regular. I've never been in the regular army. I didn't know what the regular army was, right? I thought everybody was just like me. And my partner was a 11 Charlie. My other partner was a 11 hotel. The other one was 11 Mike. Uh, I had a guy from uh, army marksmanship unit. Like I learned so much about everything. It, it made me a better platoon sergeant. He was right. Hey, JB, real quick. So a lot of our listeners out there don't quite understand how important it is when it comes to interacting with uh, conventional forces mm-hmm. versus unconventional to, to show them that you care about them and that you're still humble and that you value them as part of the team. Can you talk a little bit um, to our users about carrying yourself in humility whenever you're walking around with that beret when you're around regular army people? Sure. Uh, let me tell you something. I got humbled real quick as a drill instructor. Again, I walked in, I had all the badges, Pathfinder, Halo, Jump Master, Mustard Stain, Combat Pack. You were stacked out. Stack, Ranger Tab. Like, I had it all, and I got to tell you, I was fast-tracking. You know, I I made E7 in seven years, and I got to tell you, I learned so much from a Staff Sergeant, Levin Charlie, with 16 years in the Army. I was like, okay, I... I got to get my act together. Um, I'll just tell you a quick story about my friend, Joe Dixon. Joe Dixon was recruited in college to go to the army marksmanship unit. So like me, he had never been in the regular army either. He was recruited and he went E1 to E6 at AMU, army marksmanship unit. He was a skeet shooter, shotgun uh, skeet shooter, won a gold medal in the Pan Am games, the whole thing. So we were on the firing range one time and, uh, you know, we were shooting and he goes, Hey, you want to have a little competition? I'm like, sure. No problem. So, you know, we shoot the target sets at the time. It was pop-up targets, uh, transition targets, uh, for, um, max score 40. He shoots 40 out of 40. I shoot 40 out of 40. And he goes, Oh, good job. He, he goes, now let's do it left-handed. And I was like, what? So, we go shoot left-handed. So I hit was a shooter, huh? Oh, so I, I hit like nine targets and he, he hits like 39. <laughs> so when we were done, I walked up to him. I'm like, you need to show me how to shoot. And he goes, okay. So my point is, is that many times in special operations, you're going to meet people from a conventional force. And sometimes you want to be like, who's this person? Who's that person? But if you shut your mouth and open your ears and listen, You'll learn so many great things. I got to tell you, I became a better, I, I became a better ranger because I went that two years on the trail as a drill instructor and I learned from these guys, right? I learned, I shut my mouth, I learned and I became better. And then, oh, by the way, I helped them with things. Squad tactics, land navigation, uh, battle march and shoot, whatever it is. Iron so, sharpens iron, right? Iron sharpens iron, Exactly. So JB, in a generation where a lot of these candidates that are up and coming and and are in the place where you were when you were training, they necessarily don't communicate the same way, right? We have email, we have text messages. And so you have all of this time 
to think about necessarily what you're going to say, right? So you edit it up and, and you send your final draft that's all perfected. But when you're in person and you're tired and you're hungry and the mission needs to get done, communication is instantaneous. There are no edits. Can we transition and can you talk a little bit about battlefield communication from your experiences? That, that, that's great. Listen, if you want to be great in anything you do, you can't become a good communicator. You have to become a great communicator. Um, you know, I worked with a lot of coaches, college and professional, and the ones that I've seen that have done the best, they, they are able to communicate at all levels. Sure, there are times to, you know, blanket everybody. Okay, squad, you're not doing enough. Let's go. We're going to run five miles. But then afterwards, the great communicators know exactly what to say to whom, right? Jason, yeah. you, Jason you might, you know, I, I, I might have to be a little tougher on you. Where me, I might need a pat on the back. The great communicators know that, right? They're able to read the tea leaves. So what you have to do is you have to learn to communicate. Here's the thing. I, I've done it. In my book, I have a chapter how I, I scolded this young E4, our uh, radio operator, scolded him on a mission in front of everybody. And that bothered me for 20 years. Finally, 20 years later, I was able to apologize to the guy for it. Now, when uh, you say scolded JB, you're saying you, you yelled at him in, in, oh, front of I, in front of the whole platoon, up and down. I screamed at this kid up one side and down the other. And I think back to that and I was like, you know what? I was probably out of line for that. I was probably, I was out of line. You know, emotions kind of got to me. We were in a stressful situation. And so there, there needs to be times that work on your communication by being able to talk to people. Here's the thing. We're great at delivering good news, right? That's easy. But it's difficult when you have to deliver not so good news, right? And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're working for me, Jason, and, you know, you're showing up a little late or something like that. And, and I'm not sure how to tell it. Like, you know, do the, do the Oreo cookie method. Good, bad, good. Start with the good. Tell him what he needs to work on and with the good. And, and so it's the, funny you say that JB, because when I was playing football at the university of Arizona, I played for sure. a coach, Rich Rodriguez, Rich Rod. Sure. And when yeah. we were in the film room and he was rebuking guys for making bad plays, a lot of my teammates were from rough neighborhoods. A lot of them didn't have father figures. And so the last thing that they're going to be receptive to is getting yelled at from a condescending tone. And sure. it was the first time where I noticed this tactic of start with a compliment, hit the rebuke, and then end with a compliment. So he would say something along the lines of, hey, you're a great player, but this play right here, he'd lay into him, right? Let him know what happened. Right. And then at the end, he would say something along the lines of, hey, I expect better from you, so let's get it right from here. And sure. I noticed that people were very receptive to that. So great point on that, JB. And yeah. thank you for the copy of your book that you sent me, by the way. And reading through it, I noticed that on one of your, your chapters, you wrote, don't be a screamer. So clearly that, that situation and, and something that you saw as a failure, you learned from it. And sure. now you're able to teach others on that. So back to you, JB. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. It's like, I want people to understand there are times you got to be like, I need that machine gun right here. Like <laughs> there are times in, you know, it's special operations. Oh, in sure. Combat, you have to raise your voice. Like I need that machine gun right here. But your tone towards people defines who you are. And even your language, like your language defines you. Like sometimes, you know, coaches or leaders, F this, F that. And there's times like, listen, I've said it too. But, you know, your tone, your language, it defines you. And so you really have to, you know, take caution in how you do it. And if you make a mistake, apologize for it. Hey, you know what? 
I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that, that I, I came off wrong. You know, I, 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 I didn't mean it. Okay. My bad. Right. Uh, and so many times leaders don't want to just say that like my bad, my mistake. Um, you know, you can go back to, and some of your listeners might know this or might not, but you can go back to when president Kennedy was the president and they had the infamous Bay of pigs, you know, when they tried to attack Cuba and the whole thing didn't work. And, and, uh, you know, it wasn't even Kennedy's plan. It was Eisenhower's plan. Kennedy is the new president, the whole thing. So what did, what did president Kennedy said? You know what? I'm going to go out and tell the American people, it, it, you know, it was my fault. We, and he actually used the line. We got a good kick in the pants. All of his advisors said, don't do it. Don't do it. They're going to impeach you. He still did. He came out and said it. And what happens? His approval rating went up. People were like, wow, he's an, he's an honest person. They made a mistake, right? Own it. You know, get over it. Get on with it. Amen, JB. Very well said. And JB, I also noticed in your book that you said uh, random acts of kindness. So can you explain to our listeners why in a battlefield environment where everything can sometimes be very hellish, why kindness and things like that can actually be beneficial? Well, you know, kindness and humility uh, define you. You know, they say, you know, the humble person makes room for progress. Sure, you should salute your small wins, but you know, um, you know, what are special operations looking for? Um, they're looking for, you know, quiet professional, a silent professional. Look, I'm a cheerleader. It works for me. Okay. And I do kind of get like rah, rah, rah. But I think I find myself as, as, a, as a silent professional, not saluting, not saluting my own wins, saluting the group wins. As you know, prima donnas, you know, they, they're going to weed themselves out. And listen, you better be really good. Um, I worked in professional sports and I got to tell you, when if you had an athlete that was a prima donna, that, as soon as that starts wearing down, that player's out. So kindness is just, is just looking to help people in any way you can. I think on my book, I talk about, you know, doing laundry, right? Uh, I was on, on a weekend, laundry was piled up. People were just throwing people's laundry out of the washer. And I was like, hang on a second. Let me just, let, let me just do it because I would want somebody to do it for me. And uh, when you show kindness, you get kindness. Very well said, JB. And I want to talk about something as well that you had mentioned in your book. And uh, you said there's no shortcuts to excellence. So in my life, I've noticed that anything that I wanted to accomplish that was going to be great, it took a really, really long time. So can you tell us a little bit about that patience that it requires to get to an elite level of something? Well... If there is a shortcut to excellence, it's not excellence. It, it's, it's literally a shortcut, not going to get you there. Well said. Um, you know, I remember as a sergeant major and, you know, we have lieutenants getting ready to graduate OCS or West Point. And I was talking to a young man and I said, uh, you know, what do you want to be, Lieutenant Smith? And, in, and Lieutenant Smith is like, I want to be you, Sergeant Major. I'm like, don't be me. Be better than me. And oh, by the way, you know, it took me 26 years to get here. So especially in special operations, right? Because you're A-type personality. You want to go to all the HUA schools. You want to do it all, you know, like what it is. You're volunteered. But, you know, there's a, there's a path to it. And you got to show some, you got to show some patience. You got to have some faith. And, oh, by the way, you got to do the work in the dark places. That's where you got to do the work. That's where you do the extra reps. You know, you want to max a PT test? You know, you got to be doing the extra reps in the dark places. Your buddies are sitting in the room, chilling out. You know, you got to go to the gym. It was funny when I was uh, uh, 
doing assessments for uh, professional athletes, I would go to the combines, the, the, the pro sports combines. And I would always go sit in the hotel, uh, have a cup of coffee, and I would watch players coming in and out. Then I would go check the hotel gym, and I would see what players are in there. And I would see what players are like leaving and going out with their buddies afterwards, the ones that were staying. You know what? I need to get some sleep. So it's those work, it's that work in the dark places that defines who you are. So when you get the opportunity to get in, you're ready to go. Well said. Always be that person who's ready to, ready to sacrifice sure. and be ready to step up and do those dirty jobs. And uh, JB, you mentioned something earlier. You said, uh, I'm a cheerleader. Now, uh, so for our listeners out there, that's a leadership style, I believe JB is referencing to as being an sure. encourager and being a vocal type of leader, right? JB, um, can you explain to our listeners kind of the difference between the gray man concept, being that guy who kind of, kind of blends in and stays under the radar to not get in the instructor spotlight versus being the cheerleader and maybe the advantages and disadvantages of those two leadership yeah, styles? Yeah, so here's the thing. First off, Find what leadership style is authentic to you. Cheerleader works for me because I'm authentic. I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> and, if it, and, it, and if you're not a cheerleader, then don't try to do it. Because number one, everybody's going to see through it. You, you know, you have to be careful as a cheerleader because you don't want to be known as a spotlighter either. But you want to, be, but you want to know that you can, you can tell people, hey, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Hey, don't JB, worry. What's a Real quick, tell our listeners what a spotlighter is. So a spotlighter is, and you know, you go through these selections and somebody would be like, yes, Sergeant, I got the squad already, Sergeant, right? Or <laughs> like the guy after, right after the, the Sergeant gave an order, like nobody says yes, sir, except for like that one guy, like, yes, sir, right. like loud when everyone just knows kind of to move out. They're always kind of highlighting. You know, also. it's a like, like, just be quiet, like, because inside that group, that platoon, uh, you know, they'll, they'll know. So, but just, you know, be, be authentic and being, I was always an encourager. Um, even when it was really tough, uh, I, I found something to say, whether it was a little bit of humor, um, positivity, like, and, and if somebody helped me through something, I tapped on my shoulder. So I went to ranger school. I was 19 years old. I went to ranger school. I was a PFC, uh, but the ranger regiment is allowed to send, uh, you know, people below the rank of sergeant to ranger school. I was 19 years old and um, we were in mountain phase. I was exhausted. My ranger buddy was a Marine Force Recon Sergeant. Uh, his bad name, dude. bad dude. He was, he, he was uh, African-American, about five foot six, but a fire hydrant <laughs> built like a bulldog he was a bulldog he was so great to me and he said that, and he knew i was exhausted and we had to do this um you know you have to do this like climb up the rock and you're kind of belayed and he said to me he said uh hey listen i know you're tired um i'll keep the rope rope taut you just keep climbing because if the ranger instructors see that you know they'll give you both a no-go but so he kept it just enough to like pull me up and I kept climbing to come to the top. And, and, and I got there and I just like gave a big hug and the ranger instructors were like, knock that off. <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> so find what works for you as a leader and continue to like positive, positively influence people. I, I never was a negative guy. I, um, even as a drill instructor. Yeah. I was a hard ass. Okay. But I was never a negative, like, you this, you that. I never was that way because I didn't like it. I never gave that to folks. Um, so 
I always think that if you lead from that positive attitude, look, your talent, you can't f- fuel your talent negatively. Maybe a little bit. You probably had your, you, you played college football, division one college football. You probably had a coach get on you. Sweet. What was up with that? Jay? It's funny you, know? you say that JB, because I got yelled at worse by my defensive coach. So I was running back and they put me at linebacker when I got to the team. My linebacker coach, Jeff Castile, he was the meanest dude that yeah. I've ever had around me in my life. He was, he was mean, and he yelled at me more than anybody. So, yeah, man, you're absolutely right so, about that. And, and though coaches. you were very successful, think how more – Think but, I needed Yeah, it, but, think, but think how more <laughs> successful you would have been if, if he would have maybe used it a little bit more to push your talent up. Well, the thing was, JB, is that, you know, he would break guys down to the point where they weren't, they couldn't really retain information because they were so distracted because they were personally offended. And you're absolutely right. There were times where I needed yelling whenever we were in the heat of battle for motivation. But when it came to him rebuking me and getting personal or making personal attacks on me, I mean, that hurt. You know, I was, it was hard for me to, to respect him after that. Although he was in my position of authority, I respected because I had to, you know, it wasn't because I there's no, and there's no place for that in leadership. There really isn't. And, uh, and I think now that, you know, people are starting to learn um, there is now, look, a lot of your listeners are getting ready to go to special operations. All right. It's not supposed to be puppies and rainbows. So if you think it is, you know, don't think that because there needs to be some difficulty put on your stress level because there has to be, because you're getting ready to be put in stressful situations. Right. And your instructors will replicate that hostile environment with the, their demeanor and their communication so, towards and, you. And, and, so, you know, so you have to be prepared for some of that. So, you can, so, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, when I was doing that, I'd say, listen, spray yourself with Teflon, you know, spray yourself some Teflon, let that roll off your back. Don't get, you know, don't let, don't let one instructor yelling at you, you know, each, eat, eat your whole day. Um, I had a, a West Point officer. He, he went through SFAS and, uh, during SFAS, the instructor yelled at him. He yelled back. Guess what happened? He got dismissed from the course. Went to see Out. the colonel. Went to see the colonel. The whole thing. The colonel was a West Point grad. Colonel's like, listen, Captain. You know what? When it comes to you and my cadre, the cadre are going to win. And 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 it's funny because you know we talked about that after. He's like, geez, like so so one time, you know, he lipped off. And 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 regardless if the instructor was right or wrong doesn't matter there are times you got to zip it (laughs) boy if i i had to learn that i definitely was was more of a talkative person in high school and i remember going into the military and just realizing you don't have a choice like you can't talk right now or else you're gone you'll lose your dreams you don't have a choice so and real, real quick jb in your book, you mentioned something about how important giving mm-hmm. feedback is. And a lot of times when we give feedback, it's a correctional feedback. You know, it's, it's good to give positive feedback, right? But typically we're giving feedback on what we need to fix. So what are your thoughts on that? And can you educate our listeners on just giving feedback in general? Yeah. And again, like you got to ensure that feedback doesn't become personal criticism. A lot of times when we're giving feedback, we put our own personal things because what I'm doing is I'm trying to tailor that person to be kind of like me or what I think that person should be. That's not what you do. You give feedback to help that person be successful. Let that person find their own structure to be successful. Um, and that, and that works in mentorship too. Sometimes when you're mentoring somebody, you know, you want that person to be a carbon copy of you. No, you don't let that person 
help that person with the way it needs to be. You know, you see it in my book, I gave a big seminar to a big car dealership and, uh, and afterwards, you know, I asked the CFO, uh, who were, we're good friends now. I said, um, Hey, can you provide me some feedback? And she provided me some blunt feedback. I was like, Ooh, like I said, okay, I got to work on that a bit. Um, and, but it helped me be successful. It was, you know, not discriminatory, but saying, here, this is the things that you need to work on if you want to get to the next level. And, and guess what? I fixed it right away. So feedback, not criticize. So you felt that that feedback was extremely valuable for you, even though it was a little tough to hear. Oh, it was, it was tough to hear, but it was very valuable. And guess what? Made me better. And guess what I did? I wrote her a thank you note. I said, thank you so much for the, for, for the feedback. I appreciate it. That's awesome, JB. So JB, uh, kind of last thing here as we're sure. wrapping up, any, any last minute advice to our students out there as they prep for special operations? Because a lot of times they're more focused around prepping physically and mentally from a resiliency standpoint, but they haven't really focused on practicing their leadership, practicing mm -hmm. their communication. What can you advise on that and developing those skills? You know, uh, simply, you know, talk in front of a mirror, record yourself, look how, you know, you, your demeanor is. And, and again, if you make a mistake, you know, just correct it and learn from there. You know, I always took a step back and I watched all leaders, good, bad, mediocre, didn't matter. And I always tried to pull something out. Even leaders that I thought weren't very good, um, you talked about your football coach, but, but I'm sure you've pulled some points out of there. You said, you know what? I can use that again, or Absolutely. I don't, or I don't want to be that way. So listen, your listeners that are getting ready to go to special operations, uh, they are so far ahead of me. Stay fit, eat right, get sleep, put some faith in your life. Um, thank, thank others, be a thankful human being you know, at the end of the day, just be a good dude. Like if you, if you're, if you're a good, if you're a good human being, you got an extra step on life. Um, be somebody that the cadre want to work with. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like same thing, like at West point, if a kid, you know, wasn't making it or failing, like if he was a good, good young man or woman, I'm like, let's find a way to keep this kid. Like set him to summer school, whatever. Like, Exactly. Like if you're a good human being, like that's what people want. And, and, and the other stuff will kind of uh, come into play. Like we can, we can teach you all the other stuff, you know, but we can't teach you ethics. You have to start with that. Okay, team, we're going to go ahead and open up for live Q and a will go ahead, my friend. Um, so I had a question about leadership and the fact that as someone who's in high school, who's been a kind of a younger guy on some of the teams, like I've kind of, you know, got good at kind of the, the kind of quiet type of like leadership, like leading by example, you know, just showing up, doing the work, putting out, you know, for the guys. As I get as into the up, like as an upperclassman, what tips do you have for becoming more of a vocal leader and transitioning into more of a vocal leader role? Uh, that's a great question, Will. Um, what is that hockey jersey you're wearing in your um, picture there? Uh, it's my high school hockey team jersey. I'm from Barnesville, Massachusetts. Okay, so great. Barnesville, Mass. Okay, great. Yeah. So um, my son played college hockey and he's a coach now. And uh, I, I work with a lot of NHL players. Uh, so I'm pretty familiar with all that. So good for you. So 
here's the deal. As you start to uh, rise in, on your team or get, start to get rank, like you have to find the leadership style that's authentic to you. Look, I'm a cheerleader. Um, Jason and I talked about that. That that works for me. I like being a cheerleader. Okay, um, but you have to find what works for you as a leader. Um, you know, I'll use Sidney Crosby as an example. He's a good friend of mine. He's a great captain. Uh, he's not a vocal leader all the time, right? He leads by example. He sets the example. But when there's something to be said, he says it. He makes his point. So that's what you should do. Lead by example. When it comes time to make a point, make a point. Um, because that's what you have to do to help your group get to the next level, right? You, you, you're going to need to push them and, and inspire them. But you also have to challenge them. So read the tea leaves a little bit. If you feel like you're not a super vocal leader, you don't have to be. But there are going to be times you're going to have to say something. Hey, listen, we're not doing this. We're doing this. Great question, Will. Thank you, JB. Next question, Kevin, go ahead. All right, good evening, uh, Mr. Spizzo. First of all, thank you for uh, joining us tonight and uh, giving us some of your leadership experience and lessons. Uh, my question for you, sir, is over your 26-year career in the Army, um, I'm looking for maybe one antidote that really stood out to you where, as Maya Angelou said, it's not what people do, it's not what they say, but it's how they made you feel. Um, something that sticks out to you in that respect and what leadership lesson you took from that. Yeah, I'll start off with my early in my Ranger career. I wrote it in my book. Um, you know, my first squad leader, Staff Sergeant Roberts. I don't know if I would have made it in the Rangers without him because, uh, you know, here I am. I pass the selection. I get there, and I'm just like, now it's like, you know, you're the cherry. You're the new guy. I'm like, holy hell, how am I going to make it? But I had a squad leader that – stood firm and, and every, all the other platoons knew like this new guy is my guy. You mess with him, you're going to get crushed. And, and if I deserve to get crushed, he was going to do it. So I, I never forgot that. Right. And it was about two years. It took me about two years before I felt that like I had enough of this mental toughness to go. Here's what I want all of you to understand. Tough, you're not born with toughness. None of you. Okay, it's not a tr it's not a gene. Your your dad might be tough, your mom tough, your sister, your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your dog, your cat doesn't mean you're going to be tough. Now, some of that is imprinted on you. You know, Jason had a special operations father, so his father imprinted some of that on him as he was growing. But you know, studies show you at age twelve, it's kind of on you. So if you think you're not tough enough, you just haven't learned it yet. So it's a learned trait. So it took me about two years in the Rangers to finally say, okay, I think I can kind of be here. But uh, that was my first was the, I'll never forget that I had a squad leader that looked out for me. So when, when it becomes time that you're in charge of people, you look out for them. Great question, Kevin. Thank you for that great answer. Dylan, go ahead. All right. How's it going, sir? Um, I know this question not, might not be applicable to everyone, but I'm currently an RO, ROTC cadet in Iowa. Um, and my goal is to go into the Ranger Regiment as an officer. So my question to you is what kind of the, or kind of qualities did the best Ranger officers that you served with, what did they embody? Uh, what did they look like? Sure. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, is it, it's, is it Dylan? Dylan, right? Yes, sir. 
Yeah. Yep. Yes, sir. Dylan, that's great. You're an ROTC and you're doing all that, and it's a great commissioning source. I was fortunate to have worked for you know two of the three commissioning sources. You know, West Point, OCS, ROTC. So uh, that's great. Here's the deal. As you know, um, to be an officer in the in the Rangers, uh, you know, you can't go as a second lieutenant. You can at some points, but mostly your first lieutenant is a captain. You have to be a senior captain. As a lieutenant colonel, you have to be a senior lieutenant colonel. So basically what you got to go, Dylan, is go cut your teeth in whatever unit that you get assigned to. And whether it's the worst platoon or the best platoon, you know, your first day should be, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Dylan Jackson. You don't have to say Lieutenant Jackson. They already know, right? I'm, I'm Dylan Jackson. I'm damn glad to be here. That's all you have to say is your opening point, and then just go and get there. Okay, so I'll talk about some of the officers in the Ranger Regiment. Quiet professionals, physically fit, do anything, anytime, work countless hours, cared more about the men under their charge than their self. I was always impressed of how great the officer corps in the Ranger Regiment were. So, but don't overthink it. <laughs> Right, just go, just go to your first unit and be a damn kick-ass lieutenant. Uh, because guess what? When you show up to the Rangers and you make it, your platoon sergeant is going to call your old platoon sergeant in in the 101st Airborne Division. He's going to be like, "I got this Lieutenant Jackson. Tell me about him." And that guy's going to say, "Awesome," or "Dirtbag," or whatever. You see what I'm saying? So it's not like so. Just get out of that regular unit and. And be great. Hey, I'm Dylan Jackson. Damn glad to be here. Great question, Dylan. And all the best to you as you continue to pursue that career. Yeah, excellent. All right, Marcus, go ahead. How does the role of, say, senior NCO evolve within the special operations community from about E7, E8 to Sergeant Major from your average, say, platoon sergeant and a squad leader? Well, I'll just tell all of you, the two best jobs in the Army – enlisted an officer or squad leader and platoon leader. Okay. <laughs> so sometimes like when you're a staff sergeant, you're like, Oh, I can't wait to be an E9. Well, being a squad leader in the army is, is the best job for an enlisted man for an officer being a platoon leader. You know, those roles uh, have evolved. Of course, you know, the, you know, the pyramid gets smaller at the top, right? So uh, unless you're in, unless you go to CAG or something like that, that has, more senior NCO jobs at the E8, E9 level. Those jobs just get smaller and smaller. It doesn't mean you can't go out, leave special operations and, and go do some great things. Like I got to tell you, um, I left special operations to work at West Point. I didn't know anything about the military academy at West Point. And I learned so much being there. So take what you've learned and whatever special operations role that you, you do and, and, and put it there. And if you're fortunate enough to come back as a, you know, senior NCO back as a E8 or E9 back in special operations, you know, bring that what you learned from that last unit to help you succeed. Great question, Marcus. And uh, Marcus, it's good to see you taking advantage of all these live Q and A's. You're always here and I'm sure you're going to be very successful because of it. All right. Next question. Let's go with James. Uh, what, um, how do you show leadership in buds? That's what I'm going to go to. I know you're a ranger, but how do you show leadership in the selection course without standing out as a know-it-all? It's a great question. Uh, any, any selection course you go to, if you do know something that somebody else doesn't, uh, just quietly tell them. <laughs> you don't have to come out and say, hey, idiot, 
you don't, you didn't tie that knot right. Just quietly come out and, and tell them. Listen, it, it does not, and I was in those instructor positions too, both as a drill instructor and both in, in the range regiment. Um, when I work pre-ranger, uh, the instructors will know in a few short days who understands and who doesn't. You, you do not have to be vocal about it. They'll, they'll see things, they'll know things, and, and, and right away. So always try to help your buddy, and if you can do it kind of quietly, that's how I would do it. Thank Great you. Great advice, JB. Great advice. Good question, James. Next question, Austin. Go ahead. Hey, JB. Uh, just like to start off by saying thanks for coming in and talking to this. Um, so, so my question, I'm going to just kind of preface it a little bit. I am prior service trying to get into Air Force, uh, Air Force Special Warfare. And what I'm kind of curious about, uh, you know, since I left as a staff sergeant, you know, coming back in, you know, I'm, I'm probably have a little bit of extra rank and grade on some people. Um, so I don't know if you have any personal – uh, stories, suggestions of just what it was like for you as far as maybe changing stations, you know, maybe your first uh, leadership position um, as an NCO, and, you know, you know, what did you do? Any tips for me kind of getting the respect of your men, uh, kind of proving yourself? Yeah, so great question, Austin. You know, obviously your prior service, you're going to know a lot um, that other people don't, so you're going to come in with some experience, like, you know, you know what, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll almost be the the group dad or the big brother, right? Uh, just 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 be the big brother. Um, people are still going to make some mistakes. You're going to have to allow them to do that, but always try to say, well, "This is kind of how I would do it." Um, but what I wouldn't be, Austin, is I wouldn't be the the barracks lawyer, right? <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be the barracks lawyer because you might have a sergeant come in and be like, "We're doing this," and you know, you might think in your mind, eh. But, you know, if, if, if other people are like, oh, I don't think the sergeant's allowed to do that, you'd be like, just shut up. Let's go. Right? So be the, be the big brother, but don't be the barracks lawyer. And also, Austin, you know, one thing about being a prior service guy going through selection is you're going to be expected to lead. And you want to be able to win over the respect of your teammates, but you also want to be able to kind of keep that line so that you're not necessarily just one of the dudes, right? You always kind of keep that level of, of respect, but you don't want to get caught up and, and get hands down and all of the things that the rest of your team is doing. You have to have big picture situational awareness of the overall operation. And when it comes down to like embracing the suck, I feel that as a leader, it's a little bit easier to embrace the suck because you naturally have the responsibility of taking care of the entire team. But just know you also have to take care of yourself first so that you can take care of your teammates. Great question, Austin. All right, next question. Chris, go ahead. Hey, good evening, everybody. I just want to start off with Jason and JB. Thank you very much for spending uh, this evening with us. And uh, my question kind of piggybacks on the last one and your your previous answer, Jason. Uh, I'm a prior service Marine. I spent eight years in infantry unit. Now, uh, what leadership traits are, will be expected of me when uh, either selection, the pipeline, or anything? Uh, well, I'll start with that, uh, Chris. You know, once a Marine, always a Marine. That's awesome. You're in the infantry. <laughs> like, you, you, like, listen, um, you, you have a step up, right? Because you've seen it, done it, been through it, lived it. Uh, you got an awesome special operations beard working there. So I love that. Yeah. If I was a, if I was one of your cadre, uh, I would lean on you hard. 
right? I would be like, hey, listen, you need to tighten these guys up. I would use you, and I used to do this as an instructor. I would use you almost as a assistant instructor. Does that make sense? Um, I used to take the prior service guys and be like, okay, hey, listen, these two guys are failing land navigation. You need to work with them at night. I actually took a prior service guy. Um, we were running OCS, and uh, we had like five people that couldn't pass the combat water survival test. I took the prior service guy and I was like, this is your job. Like I knew he was going to pass the course because he was awesome. But I'm like, listen, if you want to pass this course, these five people are going to pass the combat water survival test. And he, he and it's funny because he like took them on his own on the weekend. He like used the, uh, he used like the, the pool at the uh, police academy. He had this whole hookup. So if, if it was me, Chris, that's what I would expect out of you, right? The basic, all the basic stuff, battle, march, shoot, land navigation, all that stuff, like put your uniform together, you're going to smoke all that. I think they're going to use you as a, you know, pseudo assistant instructor. And I'll let uh, Jason caveat on that. Yeah, Chris, um, first of all, great question. And uh, it's always great to have a brother on here that served um, – especially in the Marine Corps, man. Um, you know, I'm not a Marine, but I know what you guys have been through. Um, actually was over at Leatherneck and uh, just instilled a huge respect for the Marine Corps uh, to me. Um, I wanted to share something actually that um, I identified reading through JB's book. And thank you, JB, for sending me a signed copy of your book, by the way. Um, JB says, don't be a screamer as one of the communication techniques um, that he's outlining in his book. And after running, I don't know, 30 of these hell days over the past two and a half years, and even going through the pipeline with former Marines myself, I can tell you that in the Marine Corps, there's a lot of yelling, right? And JB and I talked about like on the battlefield, if you're like trying to give an order or something like that, and you got to yell because it's, it's, uh, it's loud and it's intense, absolutely. But as far as like rebuking somebody or correcting somebody and you're just like yelling at them or screaming at them. Like that seems to be something that's a little common in the Marine Corps. Like that doesn't, it, nobody is receptive to that in special operations. Like alpha males are generally sensitive dudes. And so you have to realize that and understand like that each person communicates differently. So I just wanted to give you some advice on that. And I'm sure JB can kind of caveat on the whole screaming thing. No, that's it. I think that um, you're exactly right. Like you, there are times that, you know, I need this machine gun right here. Like there are times for that. But I think everything else is um, about teaching and learning. Here's the thing that I found that some special operators don't do, though, is, you know, sometimes you'll come in and you'll ask another special operator a question and they'll be like, why am I answering that question? Like, you should just know that. And I'm just like, when I used to hear that, I'd be like, time out. Like that person asked you a question, maybe specifically to your kit or what else, answer the question. Like you're, you're, you're never too good to learn and you're never too good to help somebody else out. Great question, Chris. Okay. Next question. Go ahead, Andrew. All right. Uh, my question is like, how could I develop good leadership skills as like a new private, maybe in like battalion, like Ranger battalion? Like techniques, Andrew, like, like how to actually go out and apply it and practice it as if like you were training a muscle or, or, or what, what's your specific no, kind of like uh, just how to be a good leader when, uh, when it's time for me to become a leader, like, let's say like in four or five years, like how could I start to develop those skills early on to, so I could be prepared for it, for that type of position. Andrew, the uh, best thing to do, believe it or not, is learn to be a good follower, right? right. If you learn to be a good follower you'll learn to be a good leader. Yes, I had some 
leadership skills imprinted on me from my primary caregivers, my mother and father. But I just listened and I learned. And you have to do the same thing. But what you should do as a private, especially in the Rangers, I was a Ranger private. I know the deal. It sucks sometimes. Don't let the highs get too high. Don't let the lows get too low. You know, trust your training. Find the small victories. Mouth shut, ears open, learn. And when it becomes time to be a leader, it all fall into place. Listen, I made mistakes as a team leader. I made mistakes as a squad leader. I made mistakes as a platoon sergeant. I made mistakes as a first sergeant. I made mistakes as a sergeant major. And when I finally figured it out, then I retired from the military. <laughs> okay? So right. that's, that's, that's kind of how it goes. Good question, Andrew. And it's great that you're, you're looking forward to that. And that's something that you're aware of and trying to develop. I'm sure you're going to be very solid someday, Andrew. And dude, how much weight have you lost, Andrew? I mean, when, when I, you first showed up to this uh, California team workout, Southern Cal team workout, I mean, this must have been over a year ago that we put that on. I mean, you were, I mean, you came in at like 16 minutes on your mile and a half. You were good, probably 60 pounds overweight. I mean, how you doing, man? I'm doing a lot better, sir. Uh, I think I lost about 20 pounds. My miles have increased. Uh, Put on like some muscle five. too, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually <laughs> weight training right now, but but yeah, I, I put on a bit of muscle, so I'm really happy with the progress I'm seeing so far. Keep working hard, Andrew. Good to see Thank you. Sir. All right, next question. Donna Rich, go ahead. Hey, JB. Uh, thanks for coming on to lend us your knowledge. Uh, my question is, um, when put in a leadership position, when do you know or like, how do you know when to like step in to like teach somebody when they're right or wrong so you don't deprive them of a learning moment or is it like a situation situational thing? Great question, Donna Rich. Um, you know, like in my book, I talk about, you know, as a private, <clears throat> I was put in charge of the platoon in basic training and AIT. Like I had no idea what I was doing, uh, but I had a good attitude and uh, I think I was a good human being and that's what the drill instructors saw. And that's the other thing I'm telling you guys is your instructors are going to know in the matter of hours if you're a good dude or you're not right so you can't fake being a good dude right you can't so uh, you can fake it for a bit but then they're going to see through it so so just start with that um donna rich there's two roads right there's the right road and there's the wrong road and the wrong road's called the wrong road for a reason <laughs> it really is right I had a couple beers, I'm going to get my car. Eh, wrong road, right? It's called that road for a reason. Sometimes you can get away with it, but sometimes you don't. So that's what I always try to pick is the right road and the wrong road. I didn't always pick the right road, okay? Believe me, okay? I picked the wrong road sometimes, and you learn from that. The other thing is, is that when you are in a leadership position, you have to do a couple things. One, you have to know when to give kudos. That means like, hey, good job did a good job today. Appreciate it. All right. Way to work hard. Because if you don't give kudos, then that passion of the person that you're leading wanes. Their passion wanes. Second thing you have to do is make a correction. If you don't make a correction, you facilitate their crash. Okay. Uh, if somebody's on the range and they're, you know, their, their marksmanship position is off and they're shooting incorrectly, shooting incorrectly, you just let it go. That's your fault. You have to make that correction. Right. And then the other thing you have to do is you have to coach people because when you coach people, they grow. Does that make sense? Kudos. All right. Correction and, and coach to growth. Does that help you? Yeah, somewhat. I was like, my question was like, basically I wanted to like avoid 
almost in the sense of like helicopter parenting in the sense I know a lot of people, they like to be able to experience the, the setback so they know how to step forward. And I don't want to be that person in the leadership position where I'm constantly covering over them, be like, all right, you need to do this, you need to do this. Because I know personally, whenever I'm able to like learn from my stake myself and build upon it, I appreciate that lesson a little bit more. I just don't want to be that person who's always like, hey man, hey man, hey man, you need to do this, you need to do this. I kind of want to be able to push them and motivate them and guide them the right way without being that helicopter parent. Okay, well, I, I, I get it. So, so simple. If it, if it risks the life, limb, or eyesight, you need to correct it, right? So that's number one. If it's going to risk life, limb, or eyesight, you need to correct it. And are you coaching a process or are you coaching a technique? That's what you have to decide. Is it a process or is it a technique? And I don't remember if this was the right, but I believe when – uh, you know, I was a drill instructor. If you had to in, in place a M18, A1, Claymore, my, there were like 12 steps to it, right? Now, as you become more confident in it, you know, you could just decrease those steps. However, there are some of those steps that you can never miss. Does that make sense? So that's what you have to understand. Or, or is, it a, is it a technique or is it a process? Thanks, JB. Thanks, Donna Rich. Next question. Let's go with Jonathan. Hey, I wanted to first say thank you for uh, coming out and speaking with us here. My question is about uh, sort of you know, being quiet professionals and how that ties into leadership. As a person, I feel like I'm a very quiet person, very like reserved. I mean, I work hard. I really prefer to just have that speak for speak for me. So I'm really not like super out. Like, you know, I'm usually the quiet one in the group. You know, people are usually like, hey, you know, really don't know much about you. You know, how does how is that looked on in these special forces schools? I want to go through the 18 x-ray pipeline and how, what are some things that I could do to improve on that, to become a better leader? Uh, great question. I, uh, you know, special operations is always looking for the silent professional, the quiet, quiet professional, right? Um, uh, Jason, and I talked about, you know, prima donnas, you better be really good but you're going to end up weeding yourself out. You have a short lifespan. You know, obviously, if most of you, have, if you've watched, uh, you know, Black Hawk Down, you see the heroics of, uh, you know, uh, Randy Shugart and Gary Gordon. Randy Shugart, when I was a young ranger, was in our sister, sister platoon. I was in third platoon Bravo Company. He was in second platoon Bravo Company. And it was funny because I never really heard him speak much. But when he did, like, everybody was listening. Right, Jonathan? Because he was, he was a quiet professional. He was silent. He didn't talk much. But when he said something, everybody was like, whoop, right? So it's okay to be a silent professional. But there are times that you're going to have to step up and give clear direction. Even as a quiet person, you have to learn. There will be times you have to give clear direction with confidence. Listen, I need you to move from here to there in this time, right? So those are things you can work on with that. Uh, as far as that, but it's okay to let your actions speak for yourself. Does that help you? Yeah. So that, so that's not, that's not going to be something that's sort of looked down on. Well, okay. Now listen, now you're going to get a graded leadership position, right? So when you get a graded leadership position, you need to lead. You, you don't need to change who you are. I'm a cheerleader. It works for me. Don't be a cheerleader because the cadre are going to know it's fake, right? So your leadership has to be authentic. So you're a quiet professional. Fine but you still have to say, hey, this is what we're doing, right? 
And if somebody's like, oh, it'd be like, JB, let's go. I need you here. Okay. Roger that. Roger that, Jonathan. Absolutely. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. One more quick question. Uh, sort of a sidetrack here. Uh, you're talking about Black Hawk Down. So I'm actually prior service on my first deployment. Uh, my first sergeant, his name was First Sergeant Berenson. And he was, uh, he was an E3 on that Ranger team in Black Hawk Down. Did you happen to know him? No, they were our sister company. I was, uh, at that time, I was Bravo Company, 1st Ranger Battalion, and that was Bravo Company, 3rd Ranger Battalion that went. Uh, a little uh, semi-known story about that whole operation was Bravo Company, 1st Ranger Battalion was the company selected to go to Somalia, and at the 11th hour, uh, they switched it to Bravo Company, 3rd Ranger Battalion. So it's kind of how, how, how it works. But um, uh, I do know a lot of the uh, young men, they're older my age now that served there to include Chris Hardy. Chris Hardy was a squad leader, the platoon sergeant. Then uh, he was a Ranger regimental sergeant major um, Struker who ended up being a chaplain. So, yep. Boys fought hard. Bo the boy, the boys fought hard in that, uh, in that conflict. Wanted to tell just a quick story. So I show up at army airborne school in 2009 and you show up to the, the barracks and you have, I don't know, I would say probably six roommates and my roommate. So the person that, that was on the bottom of my bunk was Gary Gordon's son, Ian Gordon. And wow. uh, we became great friends. I've posted uh, a picture of us wow. from back. We, we took a picture together, but uh, I remember seeing on his arm, uh, POW, um, Gary Gordon. And um, anyways, awesome dude. And it's a wow. very small community. So all right, last question. Let's go with William. How you doing, sir? Just want to say thank you for taking time out here to answer our questions. I, I know we all appreciate that. Um, but one question I had is uh, I'm, I just graduated college, and I am uh, enlisting into the Air Force, going for Air Force Special Warfare. Awesome. Uh, one thing I was wondering, since I'm a little older, um, e even though I'm going to be new, Will I still be looked on to help some of those 18-year-olds that uh, are enlisting, even though that we're going to be on the same plane? We'll both be new to the game. I just, considering my age difference, will I be looked to kind of help them along, so to speak? Uh, William, great question. Absolutely. I know if I was an instructor there, I, I pre-screen all the records. I find anybody with college, and it was funny because, you know, back in the day, we'd be like, oh, college boy, get over here, William. We got ourselves a college boy. I mean, you know, the sergeants might say that. What do you think? You know, it's uh, <laughs> what do you think? You're smarter than us, college boy. And listen, if you ever have a cadre or sergeant that does that and is, he's probably got more college than you. That's what they do to try to like mess with your mind. It's the guy with like a PhD. You know, he's like, oh, you know, William, absolutely. Um, I, I always looked, at, looked over those and said, okay, we got somebody that had some education, right? Obviously, you went to college. You had to pay attention. You had to take tests. You had to process information. Why not use you to help other people, right? You have some experience. You have education. Why not? Yes. I think if I was running the program, but Jason can talk about it because I was not in the Air Force. And it's funny. I talk about that. Like if I would have known what I know today, I might have, I, Jason, Jason and I talked about this. I, I might have been a, a, a PJ because I just, I love what the PJs do. So, uh, but I, yes, I think if I was your cadre instructor, I would call on you to, to help out. Jason? Thank you very much, sir. 
Yeah, JB, that's great advice. I want to caveat on that a little bit. William, you're going for pararescue, is that correct? Like, let's say you're the top guy in your class. You, you wanted to be a PJ, if I remember yeah. correctly? Yes, sir. Okay, so something that a PJ must possess. And JB talked about <clears throat> you don't necessarily, uh, you're not born with toughness per se, right? Well, PJs, every PJ I've ever met is born as a giver. Every PJ who I've ever known has some type of ingrained personality trait where they are trying to make the world and those around them better and, and give. And there may be times where you, you're selfish, like we're all selfish by nature. It's just the way it is. We have to survive. But at the end of the day, what gives you a sense of purpose is giving to other people. So William, at the end of the day, rank is going to dictate your roles and responsibilities during selection, but think about how much time you're going to be spending with your teammates at the dorms, behind the scenes and things like that. That's when you step up as a leader. You don't need to try to get too big for your britches, as people say, or get in the spotlight per se when you're around the instructors, right? But when, and, and obviously if there's an opportunity for that and you need to step it up, then absolutely, William, step it up. But where you're really going to make a difference is behind the scenes where you have guys, and I actually have several students right now that are about to start the assessment and selection slash special tactics guardian angel course on Monday. And I'll be having conversations with them on Sunday, but these guys are young, William. And one of the first complaints that they had is Jason, this is moving very fast. And sometimes I struggle being able to retain all of this and, and be in the right place, like right on time and things like that. So that's where you can help people and start developing those traits of being a selfless giver. And if your instructors see that and they see the way that your teammates are looking at you and interacting around you, that's going to help you get picked up as a pararescueman, William. Yes, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, gentlemen, that concludes our live Q&A. JB, is there any last minute advice that you'd like to give uh, to these students uh, slash candidates before we get off here, brother? Yeah, and I'm just going to um, caveat something that uh, Colonel Hank Kersey, he wrote the forward to my, to my book. And uh, I'm just going to tell this little story. Bear with me quickly. Um, so he always gives three pieces of advice, right? He says, he talks about a good day starts with good PT, right? Good physical fitness, good day, right? I try to do that. Good day starts with good PT. Then he says mission first. And he means by that, whatever that mission of that day is, do. But he means like if it's, if it's time to be home with your family, that's the mission, right? But if you're at work, that's the mission. If it's the rifle range, that's the mission. Does that make sense? And the third thing he, he says, and you probably get a kick out of this. He says, don't let the fat man pass you, right? And everybody chokes, jokes a little bit, and maybe it's not politically correct now, but he's not making fun of overweight people. That's not what he's saying, right? A good day starts with good PT, mission first, and don't let the fat man pass you. What he's saying there is don't get outworked. Do not get outworked. Same thing in your selection. Listen, you might make it. You might not make it. I hope all of you do. Just don't get out work because that work ethic will take you in your career, whichever way it goes. Well said, JB. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us tonight. If any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can just go on Instagram at JB Spizo. That's S-P-I-S-S-O. Or you can go on my website, jbsleaders.com, jbsleaders.com. I appreciate that so much. 
Well, there you have it. Thank you. We're on here with J.B. Spiso, retired Army Ranger, incredible human being, and author of the book Warrior Leadership. Thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take some time to give us a five-star review. Give us a follow on Instagram. Check out our new YouTube channel. This is your host, Jason Sweet. We are out. Down. Down.